I just want to briefly just give a quick introduction to our speaker this morning. And so uh, it's been great to have Dave and Rosie Fellingham here with us. They've been here almost with us two weeks, which is hard to believe, from England. And Dave and Rosie have been coming to be with us for 26 years now, which is hard to believe. And I just encourage you, if you missed last week, Dave shared some of the story of how we are connected. And so if you go to ChristCentral.ca, you go to our YouTube channel, you can go back and uh, hear that. It's a really faith-building story. So I encourage you um, to do that. They're here with us for a couple of more weeks. So Dave, without further ado, I'm going to welcome you to come and bring God's Word this Thanks, morning. Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you and worship with you. Uh, Rosie and I are really enjoying our stay here. We're beginning to feel like maritimers. I mean, we've eaten fiddleheads. We drive at 50k per hour and uh, we've enjoyed some lobster. We've seen the tidal movement and the Bay of Funday. So we're feeling quite at, quite at home and uh, so wonderful to enjoy God's presence with you and to see how this church has matured. Um, seriously, you know, you... You come back after, I think the last time I was here was just before COVID broke out. Um, and I know many churches have struggled since COVID and we're still wrestling with some of the issues after that. But to sense the wonderful presence of God this morning and the worship team, so good, wonderful. So uh, I hope you appreciate these guys, the work that goes into that. But uh, yeah, just so wonderful to experience the presence of God. Well, over the next three Sundays, I'm taking some themes from the book of Nehemiah. Now, the book of Nehemiah is an interesting book because it ends Old Testament history. And although it's in the middle of the Bible, it's actually the period that ends Old Testament history. And I will refer to that at some point. But uh, you could probably preach... 100, 200 sermons from the book of Nehemiah, but we're looking at it from a particular perspective over these three weeks and giving it a prophetic application for what God wants to say to his church today. Now, just to give you a little bit of a historical review, as you probably know from your Bible history, the children of Israel were in, uh, taken captivity into Babylon for 70 years, and a first wave went back uh, around 538 BC, and uh, they went back, and the first thing that they did was to rebuild the temple. And then some 80 years or so later, another wave went back, and they found that the walls were ruined, broken down. So the temple had been rebuilt, and prophets like Haggai, Zechariah, uh, and uh, uh, Ezra had spoken into the people, and the temple had been restored. But now we come to a time much later on when Nehemiah, who was uh, still in the Babylonian area, uh, although politically there'd been lots of shifts and change, and Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And uh, so he, he was quite an official 
civil servant, had a major role and was very well thought of. So, what happens is that some people come back to Nehemiah and report that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. So what we're going to do is going to look at this story from the perspective of some building principles for the church and I hope it will be a kind of prophetic thrust for us. So I'm just going to read five verses from uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 and I'm calling this Arise and Build. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now if you knew me well, you would know that I'm not a very practical person. I'm not very good at repairing things and building things. And when Rosie and I was first married and we'd bought our first home, being the man of the house, I thought I would have to be the person who did the repairs. Now, actually, Rosie's much better at it than me now. But, but I had an electrical lead that had to go across the wall. And uh, wanting it not to look ugly in the room, I thought, well, if I get a bolster, a chisel bolster and a, a hammer, I will chisel a hole, uh, a groove along the wall so we can put this wire in and then we can... Uh, cement over it or whatever it is you do, plaster over it. So I got my chisel and was hacking away and I thought I was doing a great job when suddenly there was a ring on the doorbell and a hammering on the door. My next door neighbour came in and said, Dave, whatever are you doing? You've come through into our kitchen. <laughs> Tim Bicknell, where are you when you need him? <laughs> so anyway... Uh, that was the end of my um, building uh, abilities. So the concept of building anything scares me. But the analogy of the church being built is common in the New Testament. Now in Acts chapter 2, you remember how uh, as Peter preached, the hundreds, thousands of people were gathered into their community. And there's this lovely passage which describes the early church and it says, The Lord added daily such as were being saved. Now the word added there in Greek, etheto, is a building word. It's a word which means being placed like a brick in a wall with bricks beside it and above it and below it. So it has that sense of being built into a community. So we get that right at the beginning of the early church. Now in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, we see Paul talking about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now that is one of the clearest descriptions of the New Testament church. Now, interestingly enough, what we see here is that there are two significant factors in the building process. Apostles and prophets. And back in the late 70s, early 80s, we began to rediscover principles of building the church and the importance of apostolic and prophetic ministry and not building on a denominational foundation but building on relationship churches being joined together with people who are in relationship that become a dwelling place for God in the spirit now it's interesting that the word for a temple growing into a holy temple the Greek word there is naios, and it's the word that is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, actually for the Holy of Holies. Now, we are being built into the dwelling place of God, into the Holy of Holies. Now, what an amazing concept for us as the people of God to see that as we are being built together, we become the dwelling place of God. Wow. And it's through apostolic and prophetic ministries and we are joined together heart to heart in relationship. Now the story of Nehemiah speaks of some important building principles. It's also a story with a prophetic relevance for the bigger picture of the church's place in God's purpose for seeing the kingdom of God extended to the ends of the earth before Jesus returns. Now, I don't know about you, but it would be very easy to despair of our world and of our nation your nation, my nation. When we look at political situations with corruption, disillusionment, humanistic and woke philosophies dominating political thinking, false sexual ideologies being normalized, traditional morality being turned upside down so that what used to be termed wrong or sinful is not just acceptable, but normal. Add into this the uncertainties of climate change, social breakdown, the threat of war, and the world refugee crisis. It can make us feel that the walls of our humanity are broken down. Where will it all end? Will there be a disastrous nuclear holocaust? Will the world heat up to such a degree 
that life on planet Earth is no longer sustainable. Now these are issues that are preoccupying modern mankind. They're issues that confront us daily. Now the Bible has a better story than the world just going from one disaster to another. God is building his church as an alternative to the despair and hopelessness of our world. And I just want to interject here and say that if you are not yet a Christian and you are considering Christianity, God has a plan for you personally. God loves you. Jesus came to this earth to give himself, to give his life, to reconcile the whole of creation back to God. And if you become a Christian, I tell you, you're on the winning side. You know what's going to happen. The hopelessness and despair of our world will end when Jesus returns and planet Earth is reshaped into a new heavens and a new Earth. And Jesus died for you so that you can be part of that. One of the great de declarations that Jesus made about the church was, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It would seem at the moment, as I've described all this that's going on, that the gates of hell will prevail. But they won't. Jesus is building the church. However, if the media is to be believed, the church has had its day, it's outdated, not in touch with the real world, its ethics and morality are no longer relevant in a world where human philosophies rule. Education, the press, the arts, the media proclaim a gospel of personal liberation and the casting off of restraint. The church is finished, they say. Not only is it finished, who in the church is challenging? What is going on? Is there a voice that will challenge it? Christ Central Fredericton, be that voice. Speak it out. Tell of Jesus. Be joined together in the church. Now those of us who are Christians can feel the pain of Nehemiah as soon as he heard the words, the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. They're destroyed by fire. And what did he do? He sat down and wept and mourned for days. Now, don't be a miserable Christian. Okay, there is a time to mourn. Yeah, there's a time for that. There's a time to say, yeah, it's bad. And it is. But what Nehemiah did was to turn his mourning into fervent prayer. Now, fervent prayer arises out of hearts that see vision. 
with a realistic assessment of the situation. And that is then turned into actions of faith. And this happened with Nehemiah. He set out a call and he called the people into action to get the job done. So Nehemiah, after assessing the damage, he calls together everybody, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest. In other words, everyone. And he says, come, let us build. Now the response was immediate. The people said, we will arise and build. Fredericton, you hearing that? We will arise and build. So that was a lengthy introduction to my first heading. A responsive people, we're going to look at a responsible a responsive, responsive people who will work. And the key word here is consecration. And it says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, I think one of the neglected words in our Christian life is the word consecration. Now, the joy of sins forgiven, the power and liberty of the Holy Spirit, the sweetness of fellowship, the delight and liberty of praise and worship are all stimulating factors in the Christian life. They are the things that bring us joy. If we're involved in ministries in these areas, there can be a certain kudos, a sense of well-being, a sense of purpose, especially if they are visibly seen and demonstrated. But what about the secret ways, the hidden ways of serving, the not-so-glamorous jobs, the ones where there is no one to say, well done? Now, if we are going to build, we need to be consecrated firstly to God and to the work that he has called us to. Now, I came, walked into this building on my first day here. I'd seen it just before lockdown and uh, before you'd purchased it, and it was a bit of a mess, but we could see the potential. I walked in here on the first day here, and tears just began to roll down my face to think of where this church has come from. But there is a big job to do. Massive job. What's going on out there? The people out there whose lives are crumbling. The city of Fredericton which has need of a New Testament church. There is a massive job for you to do. And it's not all about standing on the platform. It's not all about doing visible things. It's about doing the nitty-gritty, doing the things that people can't see. And you are just as important as the platform ministry. There's a verse in the Psalms that says, your people will be willing in the day of your power. Now, a willing, consecrated, dedicated people 
are synonymous with the manifestation of God's power. Now, I'm sure we're all praying for power. Okay, God wants you to roll up your sleeves and get working and praying, but God makes his people willing in the day of power. The day of the spiritual superstar or the celebrity worship leader is over. God is looking for a willing people who will consecrate every aspect of their life. Now, I've grown up in an evangelical tradition where back in the 50s and 60s, the word consecration was used often at convention meetings where the preacher would preach up a storm, we would all feel guilty, and then come out to the front and re-consecrate ourselves to God. And we began to discover that there was a better way of living our Christian lives than that. And we've, in a sense, sidelined the word consecration because of those connotations. And some of you who have been Christians a while might well identify with that. But the word consecration, I believe, needs to be rediscovered. You know that great hymn, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my voice and let me sing. Take my intellect and use. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Now, a consecrated, serving people, anticipating the power of God, will help you to overcome discouragement and misunderstanding. It will help you to keep your relationships good, even when we may be misunderstood or we misunderstood others. It's a consecration, as I've said, that involves time and our money. Consecration that overcomes the taunts and criticisms of others who seek to undermine us. Now, immediately after the response to rise up and build, the opposition begins with a man by the name of Sanballat and his crony Tobias. And they begin mocking and jeering and undermining. They accuse Nehemiah and the people of rebelling against the king. They mock the standard of work, declaring that if a fox jumped on the wall, it would fall down. Now, we need to remember that if we are going to build according to the pattern of God, we will be opposed. Sometimes that opposition can come from other Christians. And we need to be aware of that. But if we build according to the pattern, God will bless us. Now, we have a strong enemy that will condemn, undermine and accuse, but the consecrated, willing person will press through to victory. Hallelujah. Now, this is what happened. And amazingly, this wall was built in 52 days. Now, when I look at some of the building projects near where I live and how long it's taking 
This is a miracle. Without any JCBs and all the modern equipment that, that they have, 52 days. A consecrated people get the job done. Now, I have actually stood with Rosie on the wall that Nehemiah built on a visit to Israel several years ago. And the amazing thing about this wall is that it's wide enough to take two chariots. Now, normally, a city wall would not be that wide. And we have city walls in England. York City has an amazing wall, a Roman wall, uh, still intact. The city of Chester has a wonderful wall. You can walk right round the city, but it's about that wide. Now, Nehemiah's wall was so wide that two chariots could pass it. Now, uh, there are various biblical archaeologists who back in the 40s, 50s and 60s said, no, that couldn't have happened, it, that was impossible. And they, they tried to show that, that archaeologically that, that wasn't possible. But in the 70s, a whole section of that wall was unearthed. I've stood on it and there it is. And that's why it's wide and it's firmly built together. So... The skill, the dedication that went into building that wall got the job done. The story illustrates another important New Testament principle of how the church is to be built. That they are to build according to the principles of how God reveals it to be done. Now, we see in the New Testament that the book of Acts gives us many clues as to how the church should be built. And there was another leadership figure in the mix with this, and his name was Ezra. Now, he'd already prophesied into building the temple and so Nehemiah draws in Ezra to teach the people about the building principles and to explain why it had all gone wrong and the walls had been knocked down in the first place. And so when the walls are completed, Ezra gathers all the people together. Now this is such a brilliant illustration of the prophetic and the apostolic being together. And it's like Ezra is the apostolic figure expounding the word and Nehemiah is the prophetic guy who sees that the building has to be built and the two of them flow together. Now, Nehemiah begins to read the law of Moses. And I'm going to have to race through this part but I will bring it back next week that we are to build on the Word of God. So we're jumping over to chapter 8 and verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law 
before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. The response of the people was overwhelming, and they began to adjust their lives according to what Moses had taught the people in the book of Deuteronomy. Now we'll look some more at that next week, but I just want to talk a little bit as I draw this to a conclusion about the importance of building according to the Word. Now when it comes to the modern church, there are all sorts of plans and pat patterns that we can get. And you can go on YouTube and the internet and podcasts and you will get a dozen and more voices telling you how to build the church. Seeker-friendly church, word church, spirit church, prophetic church, all these terms are used. Don't get your theology from the internet. Don't get your theology from YouTube. Apostolic and prophetic doctrine is the place where the Word of God is expounded. And both North America, Canada and Britain are guilty of, oh, I don't like that sermon, I'll find one on YouTube. Stop it. Don't do it. The Word of God is what builds the church. Now, the Word of God, the Bible, is a powerful book. You know, I was once preaching, I was in an Anglican church, actually, and I was behind the pulpit, and I was preaching on Ephesians 1, on the mighty power of God, and I was talking about his intrinsic power, his manifest power, his exercised power, and all, all from Ephesians 1. And suddenly as I was preaching, this lady came down the aisle, stood in front of the pulpit, and started waving her hand in front of me, like this. Oh, you don't really do that when I'm preaching, please. So I looked at her, I said, what, what, what's going on? Why, why are you doing this? She said, well, look. And she held up her hand like this, and her first finger and her thumb like that, but her wrist was closed. She said, 10 years ago, I had an industrial accident, did something terrible to my wrist. I was taken to the hospital, and the, the uh, tendons in my wrist were severed. And it, it was actually a, a, a medical mistake. And she won through that uh, enough money to live on for the rest of her life, because she couldn't work and her wrist was closed, like that. And she said, when you were preaching about the power of God, my fingers started to do this. So I was now on a roll. <laughs> so I spoke to the hand and I said, hand, I command you to open. And her hand went like this. And she started to go like that. So, meeting ended. Of course, it was a glorious time. Her minister phoned me up the next week and he said, Phyllis has been opening and closing her hand all week. She's been telling all her neighbours. She's gone to the authorities and she said she no longer needs the compensation. And they said, we have no means of dealing with this. Keep it. <laughs> now, 
I saw her daughter at a Christian conference years later and she said, you won't know me, but my mother's name is Phyllis. I said, Phyllis? Phyllis with the hand? She said, yes. She said, she's still doing this to everybody she meets and telling them about Jesus. Now, what was that? It certainly wasn't my faith. It certainly wasn't my power. It wasn't my anointing. It was the Word of God brought faith to her. Now, when you read the Bible, the Bible is what we call Theoneustos. God breathed. The Holy Spirit is active in the pages of the Bible. Now, just recently, I've, in fact, it was 50 days ago because I'd got to the 50th Psalm, 51st Psalm this morning. I was going through quite a, a difficult time, a time of, that was beginning to make me anxious um, for, through some circumstances. And I thought, I need God's Word. I need to drink God's Word in. And so I decided that I would read a psalm, to, a psalm a day. And I would meditate on it, and I would learn as much of them as I could. I would learn lines, and in some cases, I would learn whole psalms. Now, I can tell you, time after time after time, during the day, things have arisen that that psalm has spoken into. I would love to tell you some of the stories. Why? Because when we imbibe the Word, when we take it in, it changes us. And if you don't, if you don't have a regular pattern of Bible reading, try this one. I found it, it's great. And even this morning, I got to Psalm 51, and I was still wrestling with what to bring this morning, and one of the lines says, I will build Zion. <laughs> I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, that's confirmation. So be a people of the Word. Everything you need for life and godliness is in the Word. You know, there, there are lots of Christian self-help books, lots of Christian books about the mind and your emotions and or, or, all of that stuff. Now, they can be helpful, but if you imbibe the Word, everything you need for life and godliness is there. And I find if I wake up in the middle of the night now, what do I do? I remember the psalm that I've read during the day. And I remember lines from it. And I quote the lines and I pray those lines, lines in. You see, one of the reasons why our churches are not being kind of built according to the New Testament pattern is because we've neglected the word. And this is why the preaching of the word is so, so important. And we, as New Testament believers, need to be in churches that are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets because the apostles and prophets that I know and work with are thoroughly absorbed in the Word of God. And back in the late 70s, early 80s, one of the things that joined me to Terry Virgo and all that was happening at that time was they speak Bible language. 
This feels like the Bible. They're using Bible words to describe ministries, like elders, not vicars or anything like that. No, they're called elders because that's what they're called in the Bible. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. It's all there in the word. So to just draw this to a conclusion this morning. God has given us a mandate to build the church. You are about a great work here in Fredericton. The walls of our society are broken down. But let's build the church according to the pattern. That means total consecration. Whether it means cleaning the loose or having words of knowledge. All are equally valid and all necessary and every member functioning. Every member. No pew sitting, no pew warming. You won't hatch an egg with souls by sitting in your pew. I've never thought of saying that before. <laughs> it just came to me. <laughs> Everybody functioning and joined together, heart to heart, mind to mind, spirit to spirit, to see this wall built. Amen? I'd like Angela and the band to come up, please. And uh, we're going to sing that lovely song, um, I Will Build My Life on a Firm found Foundation. And as we sing it, I really want you to examine your heart and say, am I really consecrated in the way that I've described? Is that really me? Am I a pew sitter? Am I a church attender? Or am I in lock, stock and barrel? God is looking for a people who will say, as the prophetic word comes, arise and build, who will say, I will arise and build. Let's stand together. Okay. Father, I want to pray that as we sing this song, that your spirit will just move on each heart in this room. I pray that you will do something in this church. I thank you for it. I thank you for what is already happening. Lord, you look on it and are pleased. But Lord, I do believe that there is a deeper consecration, a deeper level, a more engaged place in it. Oh God come. Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We need your spirit. And Lord, as we sing this song, I pray that you will touch every heart.